Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, April 30th, we are studying Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. St. Paul continues to hold up the example of Abraham, not as one who was righteous according to the law, but as one who was freely given the righteousness of God through faith. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Peter Ill. Pastor Ill serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. Pastor Ill, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. <clears throat> as we get started this morning, Pastor Ill, give us some context in the book of Romans. We're right in the middle of chapter 4. What's Paul's argument been so far that we need to know going into today? Um, as Paul's making his argument about justification and about the faith that uh, is given, he focuses most especially on that justification and that faith is the very center aspect of the Christian life. It's not about uh, the works that Abraham does or the works that you or I do, but rather it is about the faith that uh, takes hold of God's promises. And so we have the chance to talk about how it is that uh, we are made heirs and we inherit the same promises that Abraham did by faith. And that promise is ultimately our Lord Jesus Christ. You've introduced some vocabulary for us there, Pastor L, that we're going to dig into today. Words that are, are new to the book of Romans. I'm going to go ahead and read the text and then we'll get started digging into some of that vocabulary. So again, we're in Romans chapter 4 beginning at verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's the text for today. Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. So, Pastor Ill, some new vocabulary in the book of Romans, and I, I don't think I had noticed this until you pointed it out, but this is actually the first time that we hear the word promise for the promised Abraham is offering, offspring. Take us into that, that word promise that we see here for the first time in Romans. So, in chapter 413, we have a whole bunch of new words in the book of Romans, uh, but we start off with that idea of promise. Uh, we have other words that talk about the gospel before but here it talks about how the, the promise and the assurance of, of faith comes to Abraham and comes to the whole world um, through that righteousness of faith. And I think that another word that comes up uh, 
is linked to promise in a very important way. That other word is heir, and we'll hear it elsewhere in the reading as inheritance. And for us today in the 21st century, uh, especially on the Western side of the world, we think about an inheritance as when somebody dies, that you have a promise to receive uh, some of their property or some of their reputation. But for Abraham, and for the people coming after him, especially in the days of Joshua and the judges and continuing on among the people of Israel and for uh, in the first century when Paul was writing, this idea of inheritance among the Jewish people and the promise that it held was very different because it was tied to the land and it was tied to the, uh, was tied to their identity and who they were as a people and who they were as God's people. And so this is going to sound like a really strange tangent for a second, but when God's people came into the land, they were assigned by clans and tribes and families a certain portion of the land, and that land would go back to them each 50 years, each seven, seven years, or every Every 49 years, that land would be returned to the original inheritor. And so all real estate transactions were done based on how long was left before the land switched back to who originally owned it. There was this promise of the everlasting land among God's people and the promise that it was always there. That kind of a promise sticks out in the first century we don't get it that way today because we buy and sell houses and buy and sell cars and buy and sell property all the time without thinking about that promise that it's going to come back to us. But the people of Israel would have had an idea of an everlasting promise and expected a return of their land in a way that we don't today, but it is uh, certainly part of that, that, metaphor and that image that Paul gives us uh, that the heir has a promise and that promise is everlasting and that promise comes through faith that God is acting for his people. So Pastor Ill, that, that is an interesting tangent to bring up, that, and, and maybe it's not a tangent, but it's an interesting point to bring up about the, the matter of inheritance and the land in Israel. And, and let me, this is what was running through my mind as you were talking, so tell me if this is maybe where you're, you're headed. So this, this matter of the land going back to the individual in the clan was not tied to their works. It was tied to the promise that God had made. And in fact, it was it was direct indirect opposition to the works, because as you said, every, everything that was, was being done, like in terms of contracts and so forth, would have been made knowing that that this was coming so that debts would be canceled and and work wouldn't have to be done like you you didn't have to work off all this because the the promise was there is that I mean is that why you brought that I just I had not thought of that particular connection is that is that where you're is that the connection you're making here just help me it draw is. that out a little more yeah so um as I started reading this and saw that not only was this the first place where promise came up in the book of Romans, it's also the first place that error comes up in Romans. Mm. And it, it got me thinking and consulting some resources on having an, on, on what inheritance means. And inheritance and promise are, are fundamentally linked together. To have an inheritance without a promise that you're actually going to get what the, uh, what the grantor of the inheritance says you're going to get, well, that just doesn't work. Uh, so there is a, wherever there's an inheritance, there's a, a faith and a confidence in the promise. And so all of these three things function together within that, that image of inheritance. And Paul is making an argument that I think fits much better for the people of the first century and the people who, who remember this, account of the land being the everlasting inheritance of the people in uh, the Old Testament than we do. I know a lot of times when I get to talk to people about how it is that Joshua assigned land to the people and how it would be returned to them every 50 years, people look at me and say, but gee, pastor, I never heard that before. We're not very in tune with that portion of scripture 
but it has a big link to promising and inheriting and the faith that is given. God said, this is your everlasting possession, this land. And the land was a really important aspect for Abraham, that God was going to bring him to the land that he would show him, and that land would be for Abraham and for his offspring an everlasting possession. But that land ultimately isn't about a piece of real estate uh, near the Jordan River. That land is ultimately fulfilled in, in our Lord Jesus. And it is to Jesus that the promise of the land points. It is to Jesus that we are called to believe in faith. It is in Jesus that we have our inheritance, uh, where all of these things uh, are finally fulfilled and finally picked up on in Jesus and in his incarnation. So, and, and that, I think that, that helps me understand then why Paul says here that the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be, he doesn't say heir of the land or heir of, as you said, a piece of real estate next to the Mediterranean Sea and, and sandwiched between the Jordan River there, but he says heir of the world. So the, the fact that this, this promise of the land is really pointing us toward Jesus Christ, is that why Paul says heir of the, of the world and not just say land? Or I mean, is that, is that what's going on there with Paul? Um, I think so. And we see this idea that the the whole world for Paul is a really big picture too. the whole world is under the authority of Jesus. And everything that happens in the world is is under Jesus feet, as Paul says in Ephesians and elsewhere. And so when he talks about inheriting the world, that has a lot to do with the fact that Jesus is the one who rules over the whole world and over all creation. So we've got this vocabulary we're laying out here, promise, air, standing in, and, and I think righteousness of faith goes with those two terms, but standing in contrast to these, it seems, is the word law, which Paul will bring up a couple times, especially in these first few verses. The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the, through the law. What, what is Paul talking about when he's talking about law here? That is um, the $64,000 question of, of this verse. I don't have that much of, money. End of this reading. Well, that's okay. Uh, it's a game <laughs> show, so you don't need to give, give anybody the money. It's oh, okay. good. Okay. Good. Um, but um, there, there is a lot of controversy among theologians over what law means in, uh, in Romans and in Paul. Um, and I don't want to necessarily get into, into that whole thing, uh, because honestly, there's a lot of it that I don't understand. Um, and I don't, I don't read enough big books, um, by the right people to, to have a complete idea of that. But there are some who say that here, Paul is talking, he's using a shorthand for a phrase he used in chapter three. That is the works of the law referring to the uh, the tradition of the sacrifices in the temple and the keeping of the Levitical law. Uh, there are others who say that the law is connected to God's wrath um, and sees the law as the commandment of God that destroys apart from the promise. So without the promise, the law is going to get you. Um, and, and I follow that because those works of the law done in the temple ultimately are done because this is the way that God has set up for his wrath to be uh, satisfied when those works of the law point to Christ. And so, so here in Romans 4.13, I think that law refers to uh, the commands of God, which apart from faith and apart from the promise will destroy. Uh, the law kills. Um, that's why we're so uncomfortable with God's law coming. When we hear things like, um, you shall not murder, and then Jesus says, but I tell you, it's not just uh, not murdering, but even if you look at your brother with hatred in your heart, you are, you are guilty of murder. Uh, boy, that's uncomfortable, and I don't like to hear it. I don't think anybody really does. But I do think that uh, law here is in that broader definition. Does that does that kind of make sense in the reading of Romans, Pastor Apple? I think so. So, so you're you're saying when we think of law here, we're not talking about specifically the 
you referred to the Levitical law. So the maybe the the ceremonial laws, the civil laws of of Israel. We're not talking about those particular sacrifices. What had to be done in the temple? What you could or couldn't eat? Those those types and and how to get rid of mildew and declare your house clean again. We're not talking about that type of law, but law more broadly, as, as you might the commands of God, his his revealed will for his creation, along along the lines of and and in that sense, then that law, which apart from the promise, shows our right. I mean, think back to to Romans three twenty. By, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin, that, that the righteousness that there's there according to the law is, is one that we simply cannot live up to, as, as you've been pointing out. And so apart from the promise, this law that Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 4, it, it's only going to, well, as he says in verse 15, it's only going to bring us wrath because that's that's all the law can do and so a, a broader sense of the law not just what would apply to say the people of israel but what would apply to all people as god's revealed will for his creation am i following you with following with you right uh because and i want to very much read romans three twenty and romans four thirteen together as it talks about the law and not have different definitions of law in each place um, but that's what what some do when they kind of transition it to uh, to works of the law. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, we're let, let, right on the same page. Okay. Good deal. Good deal. So let, let's let's keep let's keep pushing into to what Paul's got here. So verse. I mean, I think we've we've pretty well covered verse thirteen. That the he he lays out his his thesis. I suppose you could say the promise to Abraham is offspring that he would be heir of the world didn't come through the law, it came through the righteousness of faith. And he says, well, so think about this. If it's if it's the adherence of the law, those who who do these things, if that's what it means to be an heir, then faith is null. What was the point of the promise? Take us into to verses fourteen and, and fifteen, Pastor Real. So in verse fourteen. Uh, it talks about the promise that was given to Abraham when he was called, when God came to him and said, um, I will bring you into, uh, into the land that I will show you and I will make you, um, and I will make you a great nation. Um, and in Genesis 17, five, I realize we might have to do some, some Bible flipping here, but in Genesis 17, five, it points out that, uh, Abraham is to be, uh, a blessing to all of the nations. And there it uses the Hebrew word that that usually refers to Gentiles and people outside of the Jewish people or outside of the Hebrew people. And there is a, a salvation of the world that is going to come through Abraham. Um, and ultimately we see that as Jesus. And so this happens through faith. Abraham received a promise from God and he believed it. And God would bless Abraham and all of the nations of the world, uh, Jewish and Gentile alike, because God is the father of all, not by the works done in the tabernacle or in the temple by the Hebrews, but ultimately by that faith given to Abraham and to all who believe Jews and Gentiles alike. So this is where we think about the uh, the famous Sunday school song, uh, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, and you get to dance and turn around and turn your, shake your head up and down and, and all kinds of, of fun stuff. But there's a profound truth in that song that I think we miss sometimes for all the hand waving. Um, I like the song too, I like, you know, it's a good, good get up and mover, but uh, it is uh, this truth that Abraham is is our father and we are Abraham's sons because we share in the exact same faith that Abraham had, that God had given him a promise and would fulfill it. And Abraham believed in that promise that God would act. God acted in our Lord Jesus. And that is how we are considered to be heirs of the same promise with the same faith, with the same inheritance that Abraham has. Mm. So you're you're talking there about heirs and you're including us in that heirs. And and we're I think we're kind of bleeding into to verse 16 and following, particularly with the, the matter of Father Abraham. And I think we, we can come back to that. But but this matter of, of heirs, so if if I'm going to be an heir and you're going to 
like part of this inheritance heir language that we should think about is this matter of adoption because by rights i have no i have no right to the i mean we were talking about you know the inheritance of the land earlier that that sort of promise had nothing to do with me according to my birth so there there must be some kind of adoption thing going on here right right and in other places paul makes really explicit comments about adoption uh, as he'll do in romans 8 um, and in ephesians and in galatians um, but here it's kind of an implicit argument that you're abraham's children by adoption or uh, or rather the birth line of abraham isn't physical but it is spiritual it is faithful it is uh, what flows from believing that promise and that is the emphasis that we have, that this faith is what makes us heirs of Abraham, not the, uh, not the bloodlines that we share. Um, and so it doesn't have to do with if you are a goyim or if you are a, uh, or a, a Gentile or if you're a Jew, but it has completely to do with do you have this faith that Abraham had. If you have the faith, you're a son. If you don't have the faith, you're not a son. And that's that's kind of the distinction. And it is uh, closely tied to that adoption idea. Right, right. Before we before we get too far too far afield from verses fourteen and, and fifteen. So I mean, I, I just want you to, to comment briefly on on verse fifteen. The law brings wrath, and I think we've I think we've talked about that at least in part. And we connected it to Romans three twenty. I think we we can also connect it back all the way to Romans one, uh, verse eighteen, where it talks about the righteousness of of God is God's wrath is revealed because of the unrighteousness of man. So the, the law brings wrath because man is unrighteous. But then there's that that phrase where there is no law, there is no transgression. That before we before we take our break, Pastor L, I'd just like to have you comment on that briefly because that phrase stands out as a bit odd, perhaps. Uh, yeah, it's one of those phrases that it kind of takes takes a little bit uh, for us to to wrap our heads around. Um, and so, uh, if we if we don't know about the law, we don't recognize that what we have done is wrong. Um, that that is picked up in Romans seven, where Paul talks about coveting. And he says, well, if the law didn't say don't covet, I wouldn't know what coveting was. But since the law says don't covet, I look around and I see it all around myself and, and my sin is, my sin is revealed and I recognize that I am a sinner. But here, the law brings the wrath of God and it shows us the wrath of God. But if there's no law, we don't know what deep sinners we are. If we don't know what the what the standard is, if we don't have that curb and that mirror and that guide in our lives, then we don't know what it is to be righteous and we don't know what it is to be wicked. But the law comes and shows us our sin. It shows us our wickedness. It shows us our unrighteousness um, and it reveals to us our transgression. Um, ignorance of God's law is no excuse but where God's law is seen, their transgression and wickedness and sin is recognized. Um, and where it is recognized, God works by the power of the Holy Spirit to, to turn the sinners from their sin, to bring them to repentance and to bring them to faith. That's why the law is so important in God's work for us. And it's why we need to continue hearing the law to recognize transgression and sin and not to be ignorant of God's expectations and God's law. Hmm. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU. Looking at the last part of Romans chapter 4 this morning with Pastor Peter Hill. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around.
In many ways, St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bel Air, Maryland is just like any other Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Church. They have worship services each Sunday and reach out to their community, but one thing they don't do is pay their electric bill. Hello, this is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. And if you want to hear what St. Matthew actually did to eliminate their electric bill, just visit interesttime.org. That's interesttime.org. Org. Hello, I'm Gary Duncan. The COVID-19 pandemic is affecting our routines, vocation, and worship. Recently, you received a mailing about our annual share fundraising event. However, during this unprecedented time, KFUO Radio is postponing our on-air portion of share until June 25th through the 27th. Gifts can still be made through the mail and online, plus those gifts will be matched by this year's matching fund. I know times are tough, but when you are able to bless our ministry, please do so. Opportunities to share the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ increase at times like this. And as a partner, you provide for those in our neighborhoods and around the world to hear the gospel message through KFUO Radio. I pray for you and your safety, and I ask for you to pray for KFUO, our staff, and volunteers during this difficult time. And again, our plans are to move the broadcast dates of our on-air share until June 25th through the 26th. Thank you for listening and supporting KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Thursday, April 30th. We are looking at Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. Our guest today is Pastor Peter Ill of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstock, Illinois. Pastor Ill, prior to the break, we had looked at the first three verses particularly, and you'd, you'd introduced to us already verse 16, where it, Paul says, so he brings this conclusion, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. I think that's, that's a, that phrase stands out to me, that this would be a guarantee. If this is going to depend on, on me and on my works according to the law, there's never going to be any assurance if I've done enough. Uh, there can only be a guarantee if it depends on God and his promise, which is sure apart from anything that, that I can do. And, and, then, and then this takes us then to this guarantee to all his offspring. And this, you, you brought this up earlier, not only to the adherent to the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, you, you brought up that, that children's song, Father Abraham. And it, it, it's a silly song. But it does, it does strike me that, that in that one in the midst of all that silliness, it, there is that one very profound thing that that Abraham is is my father, and Abraham is is your father, not because of our bloodline, but because we share the the faith of Abraham, which is I mean that's just a, a profound thing to think about on a number of levels that that I have the same faith as Abraham, his faith in the Old Testament. Is, is the same Christian faith that I have. He's just on the other side of, of Jesus. Let's, let's dwell on that for a little bit here. And this is completely consistent with the way that Jesus talks in the Gospels when he says that all who believe and all who have faith are children of Abraham. Um, and when the Pharisees protest, we have Abraham as our father, uh, but you claim to have God as your father. Uh, Jesus is, is making the implicit argument that, that Abraham had faith in God and was a, a child of God. And all who have that faith are children of God. Being a child of God, being a child of Abraham, isn't about uh, where your family tree goes, but instead where your faith is. For the one who shares the same faith that Abraham has, has the same inheritance, the same promise, the same guarantee. And those guarantees are always provable. There's always a, a, a kind of a proof to them. Um, and we see that same thing in the promise that we have. Where does, where does Abraham's promise and where does his guarantee come? In the blood of Christ. Where does your promise and your guarantee come from? In the blood of Christ. And in no part of this do we ever get beyond talking about Abraham as uh, having faith in anything other than the promise that God would send the Messiah, ultimately Christ. 
sorry, Pastor Al, I, I muted myself because I coughed earlier. <laughs> oh, I had to do the exact same thing. Sorry about that. <laughs> Live radio, guys. Um, so, Pastor Al, as as you as you think about Abraham having faith in in Christ, I mean that. Where where do you see that in the Old Testament? I mean, and I know we we got to pay attention to what Jesus says in, in the New to to figure some of these things out. But but where where do you look in the Old Testament to say that that's Abraham having faith in Jesus? And this is where the word promise comes up uh, so much. Um, I would certainly make the argument that when God comes and speaks to Abraham, when God appears uh, as Abraham and God uh, cut this covenant, uh, and and we say that Abraham and God made this covenant or cut this covenant uh, in Genesis, but Abraham never walks in between. Maybe I should back up and tell the story a little bit. Uh, when God said to Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you, God commanded Abraham to take animals, uh, pigeons and goats and bulls, and to cut them in half and to lay them out in, in like a pathway. And then uh, God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Abraham, and he came down in a, in a burning pot of fire and passed in between the, the parts of the animal the parts of the animals. This would be done in uh, in that culture as people would cut a covenant with the uh, with the understanding, if you break the covenant, I will cut you in half like these animals are cut in half. But what is really interesting and important about the covenant that God makes with Abraham is only one party, only one of the people making the promise passes through those animals and makes the covenant. Abraham never gets up and walks in between the animals, but God appears and does that. When the angel of the Lord appears to Abraham and talks about the promise that will be given when his son is born, and Abraham laughs, and his wife Sarah laughs, and then after about a year, their son is born, and they name him Isaac. That means laughter. Um, that angel of the Lord is God himself. Um, and I would argue it's the second person of the Trinity. It is Christ before he's born and before he takes the name Jesus. The God that Abraham speaks to, the God that Abraham believes in, the God who makes a promise to Abraham is the same God. He just hasn't taken on flesh yet. And that is a really important and really central part of of our confession of faith and how we understand that we are children of Abraham, not because Abraham had faith um, in, in a promise and we have faith in a different promise. No, we share the same promise, the same Lord, the same God who acts for us. Uh, Abraham was before the incarnation and death and resurrection of Jesus and we come after it, but Abraham and we are part of the same church with the same faith. Mm. Yeah, be beautiful, beautiful confession there, Pastor Ill. And the only the only other account from the Old Testament I think I would add would be Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham is commanded to sacrifice Isaac, and the Lord provides the substitute. And I think that's, a, that's another, and there's another example of, of Abraham believing in the promise that's coming, the promise of a sacrifice who will be offered in his place and in place of his son. And the Lord shows him that very clearly there in Genesis chapter 22. And I, I think, I think that text also provides a good bridge into the coming verses because um, again, I, I, can I pause you ahead. for a second? Pastor yes, Apple? please. Um, please. Hebrews picks up on that, that faith and that assurance that Abraham has in Genesis 22, where it says that he thinks that uh, he, he counts his son as already dead and then receives him back uh, raised from the dead. But don't miss in Genesis 22, that it is the angel of the Lord who speaks to Abraham and the same God who, who reveals himself in passing in that fiery pot through the covenant, the same God who Abraham strikes, uh, you know, encourages and begs not to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the same angel of the Lord, the same God himself is the one who speaks to him and who promises to make him a blessing to the nations in Genesis 22. Mm, right. And, and that, I think that that's the direction I was headed to. Because oh, cool. as you said, Sorry. well, well, just because in the sense that, that there in Genesis 22, his, he knows his son is, is already dead, and he believes that God can raise him from the dead. 
and and this matter of resurrection becomes a very a very key point that Paul makes in in Romans chapter four here that God gives life from the dead, and again Abraham believes this, which which to our to our ears may strike us as as strange. Abraham lived eighteen hundred years, I, I think, before Christ. Is that is that right? Something like that. Eighteen hundred years before Christ, Abraham lived. And yet Paul is telling us that Abraham believed in the resurrection of the dead. I mean, that, that's what Paul's saying here in Romans 4, I think. Right. Um, and I realize that's, that's pushing us um, a little bit ahead from... Oh, did I, did I jump too far from you, for you, Pastor? Um, you can take no, us back no, where I need No, I, just, I, just, I don't want any of our listeners to think that we just jumped over um, four or five wonderful verses. Um, oh no. Well, let's see. I'm I'm thinking I'm just looking here's what I'm looking at verse 17. Oh, yes. okay. Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, which certainly okay. continues on. That's that's where I'm looking. Oh, right. But I, but okay. if, Sorry, if I've jumped, I jumped ahead, ahead from where you are. Okay. Okay. So Are we on the same page? We are now. Uh, good deal. Um <laughs> so Abraham believes in God who gives life to the dead. And you can certainly think about Isaac in Genesis 22 there. But then you also see that God calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is Paul making an appeal to the same God that Abraham believes in is the God who created everything that is. This is completely consistent with Genesis 1 and 2. This is consistent with John 1. This is consistent with the way that Paul talks other places, like in Ephesians. And in Colossians, especially Colossians 1, where God is the one who makes and has authority over everything. And so God, who makes authority, who has authority over everything, who created the heavens and the earth, has made a promise to Abraham and calls the dead into existence. He gives life to Adam and to Eve and to Abraham and to you and to me. And that same God gives a promise that is realized in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so all of human history and all of creation is pulled together because God is the one who calls into being what isn't. He, he makes out of nothing. He makes something. He makes everything, in fact. Hmm. And he gives life to the dead. And uh, Paul is going to go on to make the argument that Abraham, physically speaking, was as good as dead, especially in regards of this promise of having heirs to inherit uh, the promise, Abraham's as good as dead. He was old and he was, uh, he was past the uh, childbearing age, as was his wife. But he had been told that from his own body and from his wife, he would be the father of many nations, that his children would be like, uh, like grains of sand on the beach and like the stars in the heavens. And so in hope, and I love this turn of phrase in uh, verse 18, in hope, he, that is Abraham, believed against hope. In other words, common sense says that for Abraham, there's nothing to hope in. There, there's no way that this is going to work. But in hope, Abraham believed the promise more than he believed his common sense. He believed uh, in hope, he believed against hope. And God kept his promise through Isaac. Yeah, that that phrase in in verse eighteen does is just is wonderful. In hope, he believed against hope. So the the hope that, well, I mean, just just think of of if any couple beyond their childbearing age, one whose whose wife is barren, there there is no hope there, in in what they see that a child's going to be be coming, and and yet, in hope in in hope of God's promise that that the word of God, the promise of God was stronger than what Abraham and Sarah saw. And, and the connection that Paul makes there to appealing back all the way to creation, that he calls into existence the things that do not exist, is, is just a, a fantastic reminder. And I, I mean, even I, I was trying to, to pull these things together in my, my mind earlier. Paul, Paul appeals to creation in chapter one when he's talking about the wrath of God being revealed and, and how, how you should have known about, about, about God, about his, his eternal power, his divine nature, because of the creation of all things. And, and there, God's creative power is a reminder of, of his wrath 
and, and the law and the condemnation that comes against our unrighteousness. Here, here Paul takes that same creative power of, of God and says, here's, here's why it's gospel for you. Because the one who, who calls into existence things that didn't exist, that's what he did for Abraham. And, and ultimately, that's what he's going to do for you. We're, we're coming to that. But I mean, that, that, that appeal to creation there is, is huge. So, so this, and, and I don't know, Pastor El, we've had, there's so much good stuff here. Ha, have we really talked too much about, about this resurrection matter? How does all this relate to the resurrection then? Um, or am I jumping too far ahead of you again? Let, let's I'm keep, sorry. let's, let's keep reading a little bit. Um, and then, and then <laughs> jump into all the over the place, stuff. Pastor El. I'm sorry. What's that? My mind is just going everywhere right now. It's it, there's so many tangents we could take. So I apologize I, for not leading you down the right path. Oh no, this is this take is just there. great. And this is this passage could really you could spend three or four or more hours on this passage and still not exhaust it. Um, no so so out of the one as good as dead, uh, in verse nineteen, God brings life, and Abraham's faith in God never waned or doubted. Uh, it says Paul. Uh, in verse 20. And so Abraham gives glory to God, and he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And so that that's why in verse 22, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So we talked before about the law revealing unrighteousness, but now faith is what shows righteous, or it's, uh, it's accounted to him as righteousness. But and this is where uh, you can say, okay, this all happened about 1800 years before Jesus was born. That was about 2000 years ago. We're separated by, in round numbers, 4000 years from Abraham. But Paul says, you care deeply about this because this is an account not just of Abraham, but it's an account about you because all who believe and all who have this faith uh, have are counted to belong to him uh, who raised from the dead jesus our lord jesus is the one who didn't just seem dead jesus is the one who came as the ultimate offspring of abraham the ultimate seed who literally died and was dead for three days just like genesis 22 and the offering up of isaac points ahead towards jesus died all the way and was received back from the dead in resurrection, where he showed up to his disciples. He showed them his hands and his side. He ate fish in front of them and he breathed on them, showing that he is the same God who breathed life into Adam. And he is the one who has given us faith. He was the one who was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification and who makes us righteous. Uh, that word justification and the word um, righteous are are out of the same word in Greek, and and so you can understand uh, justify as uh, righteousify, if you will. I realize it's not an English word, but but hopefully it'll kind of bring it a little closer together for us as we hear about what God is doing in the death and resurrection of Christ. We share this same faith as Abraham. And it is the death and the resurrection of Jesus that makes Abraham righteous because Abraham believed that promise. If you believe that promise too, you are a child of Abraham and the death and resurrection of Jesus does for you the same thing that it does for Abraham. It, it righteousifies you, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to catch on, Pastor Ill. That, Probably that English not. Word. It's not going to be. But for those word. who are listening, uh, they, uh, uh, because when we hear righteous and when we hear justification in English, we think of them as, as two different words and two different actions. They're two different things going on. But in Greek, it's the same, it's the same word. So one of them is a, is a noun and one of them is a verb. But, but the word itself is, is fundamentally the same. And we lose track that that to be made righteous is to be justified. Right, right. So, so God, God righteousifies through faith. I mean, this is what Paul is is saying. He he did that for Abraham. He does that for you through the same faith. Now, I, I want to. One of the things I, that stands out to me, we've we've 
gone into the narrative of Abraham from the book of Genesis several times this morning for, throughout. I mean, you could go all the way from, from Genesis 12 is where, where Abraham, well, at the very end of 11 is where Abraham's first introduced. And I think he, I can't remember exactly where he dies, but 22, where you've got the sacrifice of Isaac is really the climax of the, of his narrative, I think. And, and throughout that narrative, I mean, we've, we've been pointing out all these promises of God and, and the way that, that Paul's reading these things, for example, verse 19, Abraham did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. Verse 20, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. I mean, when you, when you read Genesis 12 and you go through verse chapter 22, Pastor Ill, I don't know about Abraham never weakening in faith or, or no distrust making him waver. You've, you've got these examples more than once. He, he passes off his wife as his sister in an effort to avoid being killed. He, I mean, the, the incident with Hagar in chapter 16 of Genesis stands out very strongly as, as an example of Abraham not believing the promise that this son is, is going to, to come from him and from Sarah. So, and, and I think, I mean, I'm bringing all this up because I think it's a matter of comfort to us at, at the end of the day that Abraham's faith did have its moments of wavering. Our faith has its, has its moments of wavering. And, and yet, even that, that weak faith, God credits as, as righteous. Help, help me, maybe clarify my thoughts, Pastor Eel. When we read uh, this account from, uh, from Romans 4, or when we read in Hebrews chapter 11 about the heroes of the faith, uh, we end up <clears throat> thinking, well, what the author to the Hebrews says, or what Paul says in Romans, doesn't always seem to line up with what we read in Genesis or Exodus or Judges or whatever portion of the Old Testament um, is under examination. But but the way that you said it, that the whatever, however we might judge our faith, if we think it is weak or strong, is is frankly irrelevant. This is a way that it is God who counts our faith and when God looks at his faithful people, when he sees faith, he sees no weakening, he sees no wavering. He ultimately sees the death and resurrection of Christ for those who believe. Um, and this is where I'll shrug and say, this doesn't make sense to me because as a, as a person, I want things that I can observe and track, that I can have some idea of, of a control over, but when God evaluates faith, he looks through his own perspective, and God isn't concerned about evaluating faith based on the actions, of, uh, based on, on my feelings or what I think the strength of my faith is. Instead, God focuses on what he knows, and God looks at his evaluation. And when God says that he counts us righteous and that he counts us faithful, then that is a promise and a sure guarantee. Uh, this is where, uh, and when you said that this is a, uh, a writing of comfort, I fully agree, because left to ourselves as Christians, we so often want to look at our faith and judge if our faith is enough. Are we doing this right? Is this working the proper way? Am I believing good enough? Am I having enough faith in the right way? Um, and we want to do a little bit of faith checking and faith measuring, because this is going to sound kind of strange. Sometimes we want to turn our faith into an idol and we want to say, well, if I just believe enough and in the right way, then, then I'll be saved. But when we do that, we run the danger of turning faith into a work. Instead, we say, no, God sees my faith. God knows my belief. And it is God who counts me as righteous. I simply believe what he says. Uh, not that I have to to manipulate my faith or change my faith. I just live by faith and God's gonna count it righteous in the end. I don't need to try to control my faith. Does that, does that follow Pastor Apple? It does, it does. Faith, faith is not in itself. Faith is in whatever the object is. And, and the object that Paul is very clearly pointing us toward, the object in, which, in whom Abraham believed is, is Jesus Christ, the one crucified, delivered for our trespasses, raised for our justification. Pastor, we got just under three minutes here in the morning. Any points that we missed, help us to summarize and wrap things up here at the end of Romans 4. 
the death and resurrection of Jesus is central to this work on Abraham, and it is central to our life too, where we focus on Jesus' death and resurrection uh, because from ones who are dead in their sins and dead in their trespasses, like Roman, like Paul says earlier in Romans, he creates living ones. He brings faith and he counts us as righteous. Through the work of his law that reveals our sin, he comes with promise and says that we are his. And so we live fully and completely as his people living by faith. And Abraham and we are judged in the same way. Abraham doesn't have one kind of salvation, and we have another one. Abraham believes in the promise of a seed, and we too believe in the promise of the seed. That seed is the one who has come to crush the head of the serpent. Uh, that seed is Jesus. And in his death and resurrection, we have something better than life from dead Abraham. We have Jesus, our Lord, the same God who speaks to Abraham is the same God who gives us his body and his blood shed on the cross, delivered for us. Pastor Peter Ill is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois, helping us this morning with Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. Pastor Ill, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. God's blessings to you and to all of our listeners. The promise was given to Abraham, not, not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Abraham trusted in Christ, the Christ who was to come, the Christ who would be sacrificed for his sins and raised for his justification, the same Christ, Jesus, who was crucified for our sins and raised for our justification. Abraham's faith is our faith. Faith not in itself, but faith in the Savior, the one whose death and resurrection justifies us, makes us righteous in God's sight, not because of what we've done, but because of this promise. And faith, faith clings not to itself, but to that promise which cannot fail, the promise in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.